Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, would you, and open them to two places, the book of Hebrews chapter 11 and Exodus chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 11, Exodus chapter 1, in a Bible study that I've entitled, By Faith, Moses' Parents Hid Him. That's where we are in Hebrews 11, verse 23. We meet the parents of Moses. Notice with me, Hebrews eleven twenty-three. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now here we are in Hebrews 11, and if there was ever a time where walking by faith is so desperately needed, it's now, it's today. Everywhere we turn, it seems like everything that we see and that we hear The experiences that we go through are filled with difficulties and uncertainty. We literally are watching the world around us lose their mind. The world already being upside down, you think, how more upside down can it get? And then it goes a little farther. And I don't know about you, but for me, it is overwhelming. Sometimes it's overwhelming. I'm overwhelmed with it all. Has anyone here been overwhelmed lately? Has that been an emotion? Yes, no? Say it out loud. Yes, no, yes. If you haven't been overwhelmed, we need people like you in our lives. And we want to know the secret. <laughs> but in my life, you know, I've just, in the roles that God has put, in, put me in, I've got to make decisions. I'm already in a role where I make decisions. But, but this time period, I, when I make a decision, it opens up 10 more, and then five people are happy, five people are not happy, and then I got five more decisions, and, and it's just like, wow, wow, wow. It's just rapid fire like never before. The power of the Lord, the Holy Spirit dwelling in me has been a great comfort to me, but it's been hard. It's been overwhelming. Add to that the heaviness of it all. My heart is heavy for the lost. You know, you think it's hard for you having a relationship and knowing where you'll be eternity for eternity, knowing that God is on your side, knowing that he'll never leave or forsake you. What about the lost? Aimlessly walking through this upside down world, those who have no hope, those that are reaping the consequence. Not only are they facing all of this stuff, but they're living under the weight of the consequence of their own sin. They're rebelling against the God that loves them. It's heavy, and my heart's heavy. And you think of it, you you think of the heaviness in your life, my heart is heavy for the kids, your kids, for your grandkids and your great-grandkids. I mean, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, aunts and uncles, teachers, cousins, every role that you have in life, the kids. What about the kids? We can't forget the kids. They need a double dose of faith during this time. They need to not only have faith in God in their own lives, but they need to see it in your life. They need to see it in the adults around them. They need to be taught about the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. 
from those that are close to them. And so here we are, the perfect timing of God. You know, we can't plan where these studies hit. We start a couple years ago, let's start the book of Hebrews. Let's go verse by verse and, and week after week. And then there's a guest here. And then we do a different series. We can't predict where we are, but here we are in the midst of the greatest crisis of our generation, right here in the chapter that week after week we're learning about the faith of God. It's not, we're not learning about what has been called the faith teaching or the prosperity gospel, which by the way, the prosperity gospel is neither, pros, is neither prosperous or the gospel. It's one big lie. And we're not here looking, learning how we can have wealth and be better than God and command him what to do. Neither are we here in a Bible study of a couple weeks doing a small series on faith so after a couple weeks you can master faith. No, what God has us right now, providentially, sovereignly is week after week, verse after verse, even word after word, person after person, we're able to see faith in action. And it encourages us. Because if they could do it without the Bible, and they could do it without the Holy Spirit dwelling in them, and they could do it without the baptism power of the Holy Spirit, they could do it without a church service, they could do it without the word of God even in, it wasn't even written yet, all they had was faith, then we with all the resources and all that God has entrusted to us and faith, how much more farther can we go? We can make it as we learned last time. So here we are, Moses' parents. Thank God for parents. Parents, you guys are so important, so valuable. As you meet Moses' parents, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to be challenged. I want you to review your own life. I want you to consider yourself as a parent, maybe a single parent. I know it's challenging. You're a single parent. You're going to hear things today. You go, boy, Ed, it's, it's hard enough with two parents. And now I'm a single dad. I'm a single mom. But I want you to consider Jesus Christ was raised by a single mom. You can do it. God will strengthen you. He will meet you there. He will help you. You will have supernatural strength in order to follow through with God's mandate to parents. And that's our focus in our time today. Come back in Exodus chapter 1, and let's unpack what's happening and what is highlighted in Hebrews chapter 11. Pick up in verse 8 of Exodus 1. It says, now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now things are changing. Remember, we learned last time that Joseph is there and he's telling, he tells, he tells him, he says, when you leave, God is going to visit you. And when you leave Egypt, don't leave me here. Take my bones. Don't leave me here. Now at the time that Joseph shared that, it's about a hundred years have passed now. Now, 100 years doesn't sound like that much in the epic of the Bible, but if you consider our own country is just about 250 years old, 100 years is a long time. So there are about 100 years since the death of Joseph, and as leader upon leader has come on the throne of Egypt, a couple of things have happened. A new pharaoh comes, and he doesn't have any loyalty to Joseph. No loyalty to Joseph at all, and you'll see why that's important in just a moment. Not only that, the children of Israel has grown dramatically. So when Joseph tells them way back 100 years earlier, hey, God is going to visit you and you're going to leave, I'm sure they could be thinking, wait, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. We're not going anywhere. 
we've got it made here. That we've got everything we've ever wanted. Why would we leave? But you fast forward a hundred years, afflictions and trials have a way of changing your mind. Pick up in verse nine now. Notice. It says, this new Pharaoh doesn't know Joseph, doesn't care about Joseph, is not loyal to Joseph, said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it happen in the event of war that they also join our enemies and fight against us. And so go up out of the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built Pharaoh's supply cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were the dread of the children of Israel. Here's that group. Remember how they came. They came desperate beggars, if you will. Famine hit the land. They have no food. They heard that there was grain in Egypt. So what does Jacob do? He sends his boys and say, go get us some food. And finally, they all come and they come. They have some money to buy, but they have nothing. They're on the verge of death. They've lost everything. They don't know what the future holds. They come, they find out, oh my, the second in command is actually Joseph. They fear for their life. Joseph forgives them, gives them land in the area of Goshen, and they thrive there, and they thrive there. And now, a hundred years later, they have thrived so well that they've become mightier and stronger than the Egyptians themselves. And Pharaoh says, no, 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 that's not going to work. And they become slaves in every sense of that word. They become slaves. Moses' parents are slaves. They have no rights, no privileges, no property of everything they have and have built up over these years have been taken from them. However, behind the scenes, the more they were afflicted, mark that if you have it in your Bible, circle it, put a star next to it, understand this for them and for you. The more they were afflicted, the more they multiplied and grew. This is for a, a Bible study for a different time, but enough for us today to be reminded that this is exactly what happens to the Christian in the midst of spiritual warfare, attacks, oppression, restrictions, pressure, all of that has a way of making you stronger. We learn in the New Testament that trials work for us. They don't work against us. They work to develop us. Times of prosperity and ease aren't always good for the Christian because in times of prosperity and ease, there's not a lot of dependence upon God. There's not a lot of prayer. There's not a lot of desperation. But in times of difficulty, there becomes a time of desperation. You know, we're in a time right now where a lot of decisions have been taken away from us or at least suggested they be to a lot of restrictions, a lot of new things, a lot of affliction, if you will, in different ways. And the way that you respond to them will determine your spiritual growth. If you choose to react to them, and you, you know, because reaction, you know, there's a difference between, when you think of reaction, you think of a quick second, oh, I don't like this, oh, I can't stand this, oh, I'm going to take, all it really is when you react is uh, things are out of your control, you want them to be in your control, so you react to take control. But when it, you have no control over things, we need to be trained to respond. Responding has a sense of a measured approach of what we should do a measured approach. 
And here, in their response to affliction, they grew. And you too can grow through trials and difficulties. Listen, hear me out. You too can grow through trials and difficulties or not. It's your choice. But your reactions and you freaking out over things will not bring spiritual growth. It'll make things harder until you learn. They lost everything. It was hard. It was unfair. It was wrong. And yet God used it in their lives. Verse 13, the Egyptians, it got worse. You know, you can do everything right and it can still get worse. That's one of the the counterintuitive ways of living for God. You think and I think, man, and we were raised this way from little kiddos. If I do good, good things will happen. Well, a lot of times that's true, but it's possible that you can do good and bad things would happen. And things get harder, and that's what happens with them. There's no, there's no voice of, there's no mention of their rebellion. The Egyptians just made it harder. They made the children of Israel, verse 13, serve with rigor. Or if you like to write in your Bibles, right next to that, harshness. They experienced harshness in the world they lived in. And they made their lives bitter and hard bondage with mortar and brick and all manner of service in the field. And all the service in which they made them serve was with harshness or with rigor. Then it gets worse. The king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one was Shipra, and the name of the other was Pua. And he said, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women, see them on the birth stools. If it's a son, then you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, then she shall live. Now understand, if you don't know what this is, write down the word next to this. This is infanticide. The baby is born, they determine the sex, and if the baby is a boy, the command from the government is to kill that baby. Our country is not too far off from that command. The command hasn't come yet, But we live in a country that encourages and that promotes the killing of a baby in the womb. We call that abortion. And abortion has been approved for many years now, and it is a popular method to deal with what is so-called an unwanted pregnancy, unfortunately. And now our culture, after that has become acceptable, Our culture has expanded that to both sides. On the one side, you have euthanasia. That's the assessment on a group of people in our our society, older people, or not just older people, but people that someone deems doesn't enjoy the kind of quality life, quality, the kind of quality life that is worthy of life, euthanasia. So they make the assessment. This family is more, this person is more of a drain on our family, more of a drain on society. So therefore, let's get rid of the drains on society. May that forever be seen as evil in the sight of God, in the sight of man. It is not from him. So you have older, you have babies alive in the womb. And in our culture, we have accepted today Many states, federal government, late-term abortions. 
Do you know the next step after late-term abortions is exactly what's happening here. You read in the Bible sometimes. It's just like, oh, what's, what kind of, what Egyptians, what kind of primitive people were they? Primitive people? They were some of the most intelligent people to ever walk on the planet Earth. And the government saying, kill the babies. Oh, only some of the babies. The girls can live. The boys kill the boys. Why? Because it's a part of, it's a part of the antagonism against God and against his seed. Remember in Genesis, it said uh, that part of the fall, or the curse would be antagonism between the seeds. But really the antagonism was to the seed, capital S. And the devil has made a point to go after the seed from the very beginning. You see it played out in the scriptures. You see it right there with Cain killing Abel. You see it here with Pharaoh wanting all the male children of Israel killed. We see it with Haman as he plots a failed attempt to kill the Jews. We see it with Herod later on having all the babies in Jerusalem killed. You have people wanting to throw Jesus off a cliff. You have the storm on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus in the boat sleeping. And then the ultimate was having Jesus Christ on the cross. Satan finally thinking he's wiped Jesus out, but... (laughs) They buried Jesus and Jesus rose again from the dead because you won't stop the will of God ever, ever. So here we are. Here we are, Egypt, Pharaoh, government, kill the babies. Kill the babies. Now, consider what's happening with the midwives here because they were told to do that. Notice verse 17. But, and that's a great contrast, the midwives feared God. That's the beginning of knowledge and wisdom, you know. You have a tough spot right now. You're challenged right now. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where it starts. Not fearing man. The fear of man will cause confusion and traps. But the fear of God is where knowledge starts, where wisdom starts. And so these midwives, and, and by the way, uh, that was that very wis- that nugget of wisdom is in Proverbs chapter one. It's in many times in the Proverbs. So if you're looking for a new way to do devos, I would encourage you to start reading in the Proverbs. So today you would have read chapter two. Yesterday, chapter one. There's 31 chapters in Proverbs. There's usually 30 to 31 days in a month. And every month, every day of the month, you can get the wisdom of God infused. So I read chapter one yesterday, starting a new month. And there it was. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. And that's where you've got a question to ask. Look to God first. Have a fear and awe and reverence of God. So notice, the midwives feared God, did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded, but they saved the male children alive. Praise God for these midwives. They saved the kids. So the king of Egypt comes and says, hey, why have you done this thing and saved the male children? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. So basically they're saying, man, these girls are so lively, the babies just pop out before we ever get there. And they're in a moral dilemma here, looking at the leader of the known world. It says God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very mightily. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. So Pharaoh commanded all his people saying, every son who is born shall be now cast into the river and every son and daughter shall save alive. Very interesting. Moses' parents respond by faith. 100 years later, 
At least five times the faith of Moses is mentioned in his life. And the first time it's mentioned, it surrounds his parents. That's how important parents are. There is this edict that the babies be thrown into the river and drowned. That was Egypt. Kill the babies. And yet, his parents decided not to do that. The midwives decided not to do that. They made a decision to live in the fear of the Lord. Now, these people had nothing. They were slaves living in obscurity, but they were people nonetheless. A mom, a dad, they lived in families, and they don't know the future. We read the entirety of the book of Exodus, and we know how the story turns out. They don't know, just like you today. You don't know how the story ends. You don't know where the affliction will end. You don't know what God has in store for you yet. And so in that in-between time, that in-between time is a time to cling to God, a time to develop and, and strengthen your fear and your faith toward God. The world said, kill that baby. But his parents knew a higher power. They knew a higher authority. They knew personally God, the author of life, the author of their son's life. And they knew this before it was ever laid out scripturally. They knew that the value of life is life itself. It is not a quality of life. It is not the quality of life. Who are you to determine the quality of life that deserves life. Only God places the value on life, and all life has value in the eye. We are all made in the image of God, and it's beautiful. Let's look at this for a moment. Turn over now to Romans chapter 13, a very relevant place for us in our time, because this passage with the midwives, it gets lost in the dilemma that they're in of telling a lie and seemingly God blessing it. God doesn't bless telling lies. He doesn't do that. Lie is always a sin, and this is a dilemma. All I know is this. I'm not going to get caught up in the arguing because then you'll miss the point of the passage. The point of the passage isn't about the argument. The point of the passage is God's sovereign providential care. The point of the passage is a group of people that said, I will fear God. I don't care what the consequence is. I'm willing to, I don't have anything right now. I'm willing to lose my, I believe this so much. I'm willing to lose my life. I believe that that baby's life is so valuable that I'm willing to lose everything to honor God. But I know this, whatever happened with the midwives, in, they're in the presence of Jesus right now, they know how it all got sorted out. So they're fine, they got, they're just like, don't do, stop arguing about us, just follow the Lord. If they could see it from heaven, that's what you'd hear. What do you guys think, midwives? Stop arguing and start standing for what is right, because that's what they did. And here's a New Testament passage. Before it was ever written, the midwives understood this because this is the character of God. Listen, Romans chapter 13, verse one. This is what the Bible says. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities for there's no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Mark that word, evil. 
That's an important distinction in this passage. Who defines evil for us? Government or God? Just say it out loud. God. Evil is a God word, not a world word. Evil is a God word. So when you choose to live in a way that doesn't please God, most of the time, the laws of the land will agree with God. Not all of the time, but most of the time, the laws of the land agree with God. When you do evil, just expect you're not going to get away with it. They're here to help you stay on track. Do you want to be unafraid, verse 3, of the authority? Then do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Three times the word evil is used. That's an important distinction that you see in this passage. Authorities are appointed by God. And if you're moving in a way that's not living in evil, you're going to be just fine. Now, the problem is this. We have, we're living in the last days. And you know what the Bible says, the last days. And they actually, the Bible says this, that there will be a generation in preceding the coming of the Lord that calls good evil and evil good. Let me tell you, church, welcome to that time. We're living in it. And that's why lines get blurred with those that are put in authority. That is a God ordained structure in society to keep order. It is God. They are God's minister. It doesn't say they're perfect. It doesn't say they always do the right thing, but order is necessary for society to progress. Notice verse five now. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Now, you could go ahead and groan on that. Nobody groan. You ready? You pay taxes. Yeah, I know. I know. And some of you go, well, I didn't pay taxes. I got a refund last year. Yeah, that was my money you got back. <laughs> For they are God's ministers attending continue to this very thing. That's true. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Now, it's interesting that Paul and Silas were put in jail for not obeying this verse. Peter was thrown in jail for not obeying this verse. So I want you to listen and listen carefully. I believe this is the Lord speaking through his word to us. Listen, we obey civil authorities until they tell us to do something to disobey God, which is the higher or highest authority. Let me say that again. We obey, this is God's will for your life, we obey civil authorities until they tell us to do something to disobey God, which is the higher and the highest authority. You guys with me so far? Now, let me clarify something for you. Let me, let's be clear here. The highest authority is not your pastor. It is not someone that's popularly espousing ideas on YouTube or on the news. It's not some YouTube video someone forwarded to you, so all of a sudden, that's your highest authority. The highest authority is not your opinion. It's not your Aunt Mabel. It's not your Uncle Carlos. The highest authority is God and His Word. Don't ever forget that, because when you do, you make a lot of mistakes. We are to obey the civil authorities until they tell us 
or prevent us from doing, if they tell us to do something God, tell, tell, to disobey God, or they tell us not to do something that would disobey God. I think of the recent uh, request or demand or command or law, whatever you want to call it in California, that's declared, church, we'll let you gather, but you can't sing. You can't sing. You're you, we can't sing. No, you can't sing. We can't sing. I'm sorry, that's just not possible. There's nothing you could cut my tongue out and I would still sing to the Lord because he is worthy of my praise and I would never tell the church they can't sing. You want to come in here and tell the church they can't sing? You try that, but you are going against God. No way, are you, what? Have you lost your mind? Well, yeah, they actually have lost their mind. Unbelievers telling the church what they can do. No, 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 thank you. You go, Ed, is that possible? Well, ask the Pharaoh. Unbeliever telling followers of God what to do. No, we must obey God. Let me give you a couple passages. In Acts chapter 4, verse 18, listen. They called them, these are the, the uh, Peter and John. They called Peter and John, commanded them not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Yeah, you, you guys can't teach in Jesus anymore. <laughs> okay, okay. Just understand this. You judge whether we should obey God or not. You can make that judgment, but we have already decided. When we were born again, we already decided we would obey God no matter the cost. And that is the problem, church, and you have to examine your heart on this. Many believers aren't willing to pay the price of obedience. You just don't want to lose things. You don't want to lose your job. You don't want to lose your money. You don't want to lose your house. You don't want to lose your status. You don't want to lose things. So because you don't want to lose things, you don't obey. And you suffer the consequences for that. We've spoken over the years, persecution's coming, difficulty's coming, and we're kind of living on easy street all the way through. We're living on easy street until we're not. And then we're tested on it. And we're tested what kind of believer are we really? Where is our walk with the Lord truly? What is he doing eternally through us? And you have to understand that there's going to come a time where we're going to have to stand for what is right and what is holy and what is good. Acts chapter 5 verse 26, they call the apostles in and they tell them the same thing. We told you not to teach in Jesus' name. And their answer was, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than man. And there just comes a time in all of our lives, both individually and corporately, where we're being asked to do something that disobeys God and you have to choose God. So long before the New Testament, these midwives are already living that way. They don't care what they lose, including their lives. Look, you know what? We're, we see it's a boy. We're not doing that. We're not doing that. I'm not going to kill a baby. I'm just not going to do it. And as Moses comes out of the birth canal, they determine it's a boy and they decide to hide him. And really what they're saying is we're not giving our kid to Egypt. And that's the word of the Lord for you parents today. You're not giving your kids to Egypt. And you might think, well, head, I've never even been to Egypt. No, Egypt becomes a type and a picture in the Bible of this world, this culture. This world and culture wants your kids. 
and you must choose not to give your kids to Egypt. It's your responsibility, parents. It's yours. Come back to Exodus as we wind down today. Notice in chapter 2 now, as it unfolds, this whole decision, Moses' parents, they're basically saying, you can't have my kid. You can't have my kid, Pharaoh. You can't have my kid, Egypt. And notice it says, a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife, the daughter of Levi. So the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was beautiful, she hid him three months. Now, before the birth, you know, this is a lot of times, at least nine months here in these two verses. Can you imagine the, the difficulty in this precious mom's heart as she's praying for the baby in her womb? I wonder if she was praying, Lord, I, I hope I have a girl. I don't want to see my baby lost. Or maybe, Lord, if you give me a boy, give me the faith that I won't participate in this culture. I won't give my kid up. I, I won't do it. I don't know, but it, you know, we, don't, we often don't feel the drama of the situation because we just read from one verse to the next and nine months pass or a hundred years pass. But this woman doesn't know the future. She's pregnant. And the law of the land is, if that baby's a boy, you'll never see him again. Notice, when they could no longer hide him, verse 3, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. What was the command after the baby was born? What did Pharaoh say? Throw the baby where? In the river. What does his parents do? Okay, we'll throw our baby in the river, but we're going to make a little boat first. You know, there are ways to obey the authorities without antagonizing the authorities. You realize that, right? There are ways of obeying the authorities without antagonizing them. And here is a beautiful picture of that. You want the baby in the river? Great. Although, understand, it's extremely hard. Don't minimize what's happening here. She's saying goodbye to her son and hoping for the best. That was their determination. This is the best for our son. And God knew already, notice, his sisters, because Moses is the youngest. You know, he already has Aaron, his big brother, and he has Miriam. And that's where we meet her, right here in verse 4. His sister, Miriam, stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along the river's side, and they saw the ark with, among the reeds in the water there. So she sent the maid to get it. And when she had opened it, she saw the baby, and the baby cried. And so she had, notice, compassion on him. Do you know the Bible says, like the rivers of water, like God can change the heart of a king like the rivers of water. Like God is in control. She doesn't automatically go, oh no, I'm an Egyptian. This is a baby. We need to throw him in the water. Nope. She doesn't see the baby and go, oh no, this is a Hebrew baby. I need to go tell my daddy. Nope. God had placed a compassion in this unbelieving girl for the baby. And she decides to save it. Not only that, notice, as she has compassion, she says, this is one of the Hebrews' kids. And his sister said to Pharaoh, then his sister Miriam said to Pharaoh's daughter, can I go get a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse a child for you? Interesting how God works in and through tough situations for his will. And the answer, yeah, go get her. And the maiden went and called her mom. And God arranged so that 
Moses' mom raised him till about five years old. Pharaoh's daughter said, take the child and nurse him. I will give you your wages. She got paid to take care of her own kid. Why? Because of faith in God. And notice, the child grew. She brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She called his name Moses, saying, because I drew him out of the water. For five years, I can imagine his mom was saying, you know what? You come from a great heritage. I want to talk to you about Adam and Eve. I want to talk to you about creation. I want to talk to you about the faithfulness of God. I want to warn you about wickedness of sin with Cain and Abel. I I want you to understand Enoch. I want you to know that God takes sin seriously. So meet Noah and the ark. And that ark is the rescuing God rescues. He loves to rescue, but you got to be in the ark. And he promised that he would send a savior. He promised to Abraham. He promised. She was on her knee, weaning, taking care of that baby Moses, five years, the formative years of his life, pouring in, pouring in, pouring in, and then having to hand him over, preparing him to hand him over. And I believe that this handing him over meant that concept of never being able to see him again. He'd been in the Pharaoh's court, and they were slaves, and those two never mixed. So Up to about five years old, mom pours into him and says, okay, okay, got to let him go. And I believe her prayer life, mom and dad's prayer life, continued to grow and grow and grow. Now listen, parents, parents, you know this, but it's important to be reminded. In your kids' lives, more is caught than taught. More is caught than taught. What I mean by that is that you are the primary teachers and disciplers of your children. It's your responsibility to get the Word of God. And parents, you can put it this way. You have one responsibility as a parent, not two, not five. Your responsibility is not to make sure your kids get a college education. It's not even to make sure they get three square meals a day. Your responsibility is not to make sure they're launched off on their career, have all their decisions made for them. You have one responsibility. As a parent, I had one responsibility. You know what it is? Get my kids to heaven. That's my goal. That's your goal. Get your kids to heaven. Get the gospel in them, both by precept and by example. That's it. Hey, preparing them how to live in this world, very important. Making sure they make wise choices, great. Saving ahead for college, fantastic. Those are all secondary. If you don't accomplish anything else as a parent, get the gospel into your kids' hearts and minds. I say that because many people believe that it's the church's responsibility to take care of their kids. And it is not our responsibility to disciple your children. Oh, we will. We will do everything within our power to infuse the gospel into your kids' lives from the nursery all the way through into the college ministry here. We will. You hand your baby over to the, those that are serving in the ministry, and although we're not teaching in the Greek and the Hebrew, they're being held by love, being sung to, the Bible being read to them. You bet, from ever as they go through all the children's ministry, there are men and women trained to teach them the word, to love them. I mean, Pastor Michael, that is his, this is what he lives. He breathes in and out how to care for kids, how to love kids, how to reach kids, how to connect kids to the gospel for the time that you're entrust us to him. You bet. Verse by verse, we go from Genesis to the end of the Bible with your kids. You bet. Yes. But it's not our responsibility. It's your responsibility. You're their parents. 
grandparents, single moms, single dads. They go through the children's ministry. They land into the junior high ministry. Well, Pastor Keegan and his team, Pastor Keegan, this is what he lives in. He breathes in day after day, week after week. He is praying about how to minister the gospel to your kids in the TikTok, Instagram, video game world to make sure that the Bible is relevant, that, they're tr- that they trust him through love, caring and concerning to get the word of God and all the pressure that your kids are facing, we want to come alongside of you. But it's not our responsibility. It's your responsibility. If they go through high school, or they go through junior high and they end up to high school, we got Pastor Joshua there and his team and hopefully a new, a new high school pastor here very soon that live and breathe day in and day out how to help take the Bible in the same world that they are bombarded. Not only is it TikTok and Instagram and probably things I don't even know about yet. Not only is it the video games and the headsets and the, hey man, when I played video games, it was a black stick with an orange button, man. I didn't have a headset on. I had a radio blaring. I wasn't talking to people around the world. I didn't have pornography in my back pocket. I wasn't being prayed. There wasn't, there wasn't a, a major thing of sex trafficking when I growing up. Welcome to the world your kids live in. We got to open our eyes and kids have to know that they have a parent that's got their back. They need to know that you love them, that you care for them. If your home is filled with the word of God and your home is filled with prayer and your home is filled with love, God will use that to guard your kids. Listen, you cannot, parents, give your kids to Egypt. Egypt can't have your kids. Just say it out loud. Say it with me. Egypt can't have my kids. Say it out loud. Egypt can my kids. Egypt can't have your kids. And we'll stand in the gap. They go through high school, they get into college. Can I just say on the first day of the first class in all secular colleges, most likely, unfortunately, some Christian colleges, your kid is going to meet a professor that their whole goal in life is to undo all the training that you did in your kid's life. It's probably going to be in one of the science-related classes, And they're going to sniff out that, oh, there's a believer there. I'm going to embarrass them. I'm going to make them look like fools. I'm going to isolate them. I'm going to ask them the questions in such a way where they don't even believe in themselves. I'm going to make them doubt. I'm going to turn them against their parents. I'm going to turn them against their church. I'm going to turn them against their faith. I'm going to turn them into secular thinkers. That's day one. That's just day one. I met a brother right after service, first service. He said, that professor you talked about, Ed, it's my dad. I lived in that world for many years. He's a believer now, but he says, that's my dad. He's a professor, and he does exactly that. Parents, you have a responsibility. Now you understand why your marriage is so important for those of you that are married. Here you are wasting time fighting about dumb things that really don't mean anything, digging in your heels, flirting with someone at work while your kids are just thrown to Egypt. Just thrown to Egypt. And there you are, you're, you're out. You, you know, we, need, we, we don't need, but we want more money. So there you are, money's got you out of the house. Your kids are thrown to Egypt. Or your hobby, man, it just takes more of your time. You gotta jump in, you gotta do this. And your kids are going to Egypt. And Egypt's owning them. And it's never too late to decide. Parents, look, I know whenever I share a message, parenting or prayer, there's always a heaviness. 
Because every single one of us, myself included as a parent, like I look back and I'm like, man, I could have done this better. I could have done this better. I could have done this better. But you know what? God makes up the gap. He's faithful. You look to him, even in your failures, God will use them in your kids' lives. But, but that's, it's, it's impossible for God to use you when you aren't wanting to be used. He won't force you. Your kids, the Bible says, are a treasure. They're a heritage. And it's not my responsibility. It's your responsibility, even though I'll do whatever I can to minister to your kids and serve your kids and teach your kids and love your kids and build trust with your kids so that they might listen to me and receive from me and I can be there to encourage them in these difficult times in which they live. I know it's hard, single moms and single dads. I know it's hard, but Jesus will meet you there. When a home that's Christ is honored, where a word is read and followed, where there's prayer, it sets the stage for your kids in a land that wants to enslave God's people and absolutely destroy the faith of our kids and our marriages and our witness. We need to hide our kids from Egypt for sure, as long as we can. Friend, we're in this world, but we're not of it. So the answer isn't, well, I'm gonna get out of Egypt, I'm moving to the moon. That's not possible. This is Egypt, and this is where we're at. This is God's will for our life. Jesus said, we're in this world, we're not of this world. Jesus, when he was praying, he says, Father, I don't ask that you take them out of the world. And then you say, what? Take me out, Lord. He says, no, I'm praying, Father, that you would keep them. You would protect them. You would help them. We're in the world, and it's vital that you teach your kids the ways of God. Moses' mom had five years with him. You have to know that those five years were five years of discipleship for those kids. Five years of pouring the truth into them. Which leads me to another group today before we head out. And I know that some of you in a room this size with this many people, you guys watching online, listening on the radio around the country, listen, I know that there are parents with prodigal kids. And you're looking at it this and kind of putting the pieces together and maybe you're concluding, well, it's all my fault, it's all my fault. There may be something in your life that you need to repent of. I know in my life, I never really got this growing up, but I know my kids got it a lot. And that is, I would often, depending on how big they were, but I would get down on my knees and I would look my kids in the eye and I would ask them to forgive me for my failures. As there were many in my life many failures as a dad with all three of my kids. And, and I would just say, I want to clean the slate with them. So you look at that in your life and you go, well, maybe I fail. Okay, then clean the slate and you can have that. Just ask for forgiveness. But understand this too. Every prodigal kid is responsible for their own decisions. It's their choice. But even in that, that doesn't give much relief but it, it can, as you know, that every child, uh, you get them to a certain age, they're responsible for themselves. But also know this, you are so loved by God, you parents of prodigals. You are so loved by God that Jesus would, and you know, Jesus, there's not a lot, not everything of Jesus is recorded in the Bible, right? But his teaching is recorded when he gave us the teaching of the prodigal son. He says, there was this dad, and he had two sons, and actually had trouble with both sons, even though the one stayed with him. 
But the one that went away took his inheritance and left and lived riotous, you know, party lifestyle. We went out there and dad didn't know if he was, if he was coming back. Dad didn't know when he was coming back. He didn't know anything. He was just, man, my son, what's going on with my boy, man? What happened to him? I raised him the right way and he left anyways. We know he raised him the right way. Why? Because when he was down and out, he started thinking back to his dad and he goes, my dad is a good man. I'd rather be a servant in my dad's house than doing what I'm doing right now. So we know he got raised the right way. And let me just say this. As you're praying for your kids, don't stop praying. Like like Moses' parents had to pray for the next 30 years. They wouldn't see him for the next 30 years. Maybe get glimpses of him, but have no relationship with him for 30 years until, until things, and probably never again. It's probably never again. We don't know for sure. But you look at this prodigal, and when the kids, when kids go prodigal and they start, all hell breaks loose, I'll just let you know, they're not going to run to Buddha for help. I know that. And they're not going to run to witchcraft. They're not going to run to Muhammad. You know where they're going to run? They're going to run to the one true God that you taught them about and that lived as the authority of your house. And so you hold on tightly. They might be messing with Buddha right now, Muhammad right now. They might even be dabbling in witchcraft or whatever weird stuff they're into, but it's all going to lead to nothing. They're going to be sitting there one day eating trash, thinking, man, what have I done to my life? And they're going to come home to the God that loves them. And they're going to come home to the parents that love the God that loves them, to an environment working through the things and through their pain. Listen, parents, your faith matters. Your faith matters. How often I think Jochebed and Amram, Moses' parents, prayed for their boy diligently, specifically, keep him safe, keep him pure, keep him strong. Egypt can't have my kid. I'm not giving Egypt my kid. No. And even through backsliding, they'll be back. Because Moses' parents had enough faith to not surrender to Egypt. They were not passive parents, but they were active in the lives of their kids. And we can't be passive, church, because this world is aggressive. And even more so, the, de- the world, the flesh, and the devil, our threefold enemy is getting more aggressive as they see the day approaching. And we have to be in a place of being aggressive spiritually and proactive. And it's never too late to start over. It's never too, too late to just clean the slate. It's never too late to pick up the phone. If you have influence in your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, get involved and get back to the basics. All the things that you're doing, all the money, all the hobbies, everything you're into is not worth it, the value of your kid's life. And they do, let me just say, having raised all my children now into adulthood, they grow up so fast they grow up so quick and you think what happened and then they don't want to be treated like a little kid anymore but in your eyes they're always going to be your little kid but you know as well as I do that they're growing and maturing and can I just say one more thing thanks for permission because I'm going to anyway your kids do not need you in their formative years to be their friend. You don't need to be the coolest mom and the coolest dad. They only have you as a parent. They need you as 
a parent. You are the only parents in their life. They need you, especially as a believer, they need you as a parent. Once you raise them, then you can be friends. But they don't need you to be all, oh, I got the cool, you know, so they can go to school. I got the coolest mom that never, let me do whatever I want. You've given them to Egypt. They need you as a godly parent. And I know they're not going to be happy. I know they're going to flip out. I know, oh, mom, uh, uh, okay. But remember, you fear God. And he gives you, he's the highest authority, right? He's the highest authority. And he'll lead you and guide you on how to minister to your kids. Parents, let Moses' parents encourage you. All of this happened by faith. And you too have the same faith, except you have the power of the Spirit, the Word of God, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have so much more today. And may the Lord empower you and strengthen you as parents. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys. Let's pray. Father, I know that uh, challenging, challenging word, but we need it. We want it. In the days in which we live, we're we, we just, just wanting God make us the parents you want us to be. I pray for our single parents. I pray for the prodigals. Bring them home, Lord. Whatever it takes, bring them home. Bring them back. Give them a passion and a love. Restore that passion and love for you, God, and for their mom and dad. Or maybe they're single mom and dad because not every situation is, is easy and is clear cut. And I just pray, God, that you would remove any of the guilt and the shame. That you would restore relations. You would bring, I mean, there's so many represented here today that are considered prodigals. And we just pray them home, Lord. We love them. Let them feel love today. We pray against their friends right now, Lord. We pray against the people that are jacking their lives up and that they're agreeing with it. But we pray against that influence. Your word says that evil company corrupts good habits. So I pray against, take those people out of their lives in Jesus' name. Bring them to a place where they see clearly, God. Give them a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Give them a memory of mom and give them a memory of dad. Not the failure, but the success. They got one failure and a thousand successes. Bring those successes back to their minds today. And maybe, just maybe, there'll be a phone call or an email or something today, Lord. As soon as today, where you're already at work in their lives. So thank you for the privilege of serving you. May you be glorified in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.